reckon you talk about turning points. Turning points in my life were when I realized that it was only important for me what my art was. It didn't matter if anybody else liked it or not. Welcome to My Way, a podcast that shares the stories of people who are doing life their way. Listen along as we explore what works, what doesn't, and the experience that happens no matter which path we choose. I'm your host, Sunny Collins. Thanks for listening. Sunny here. Welcome to episode 16 of My Way. This is part two of my conversation with fellow Graytonian and artist Alistair Barnes. If you haven't listened to the first part, stop and go back. Join us as we literally chew the fat of Biltong and of life. There's even a short cameo by the lovely Sylvia. You can check out the eccentric Alistair on the podcast Cowgirl Facebook page and Instagram account. Enjoy the rest of our mental wanderings and thanks for listening. Siblings. Mm. I have a brother. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, he's uh, um, very much a man of the Lord. And he lives in Johannesburg and he has a couple of children, a few children. We don't see each other a lot, apart from the fact that Cape Town's a long way from Joburg. We have sort of, we got similar interests, but he's um, we're close but distant in. We'll talk, and when we talk, we talk forever, and then when we don't talk, we don't talk forever, sort of thing. Huh. That's kind of like my brother. Yeah, uh, same. Hmm. Yeah. So if your brother, your brother's a, a man of the Lord, hmm? and then what, <laughs> what are you? What am I? Well, I love what Jesus had to say. Hmm. He said three things that make sense to me. He said, don't be judgmental. Said, put your neighbor first. And put. Put God first, put your neighbor above you, and don't be judgmental. Mm. If we could apply those things, the world would be a very interesting place. Uh-huh. Much better place. I know the rules, but I don't apply them, I suppose. Yeah. Okay, so what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I still want to be a game ranger. Still? Yeah. It's not too late. Well... You do. You know what to do, or don't know what to do. Yeah. I spent a hell of my time in, in the bush, one way and another. And my heart is is really in a place like like Niasa, as you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if Colleen said to me, "Just come and stay here for good," I would. Um, what about Sylvia? Well, you don't want women there. Eh? <laughs> um, <laughs> Have you told Colleen that? Oh, she's not a woman. <laughs> Colleen is the most fantastic woman. I mean. You know, there are very few... She is special. Yeah, no, I'll be quite simplistic. I probably am macho and masochistic and all that. Mm. And I love girls. I really do. I love them. But I don't want to be around them all the time. Mm. But there are two people, two females that I can talk to Ad infinitum. One is Colleen and one is my daughter, Shelley. Really? Yeah. Both of them, I can just talk to, talk to, talk to, talk to. I think it's, they've got such nimble minds that they can swap swap uh, um, strides like I do because I can't concentrate much and I just start thinking about other things. Mm. And Colleen has got a wonderful brain now. Yes, she does. Anyway. And Hello, Carl. If you ever hear this, I love you. See? 
And Shelly? Shelly. Well. Well, maybe maybe we I've should... got two daughters and, yeah. and two stepdaughters. And I love each one more than the other one. Hey, guys. <laughs> each one of you more than the one standing next to you. <laughs> and then I've got uh, a stepson and two of my other little sons as well. And I love you too, all you little buggers. Well, it's and not so, difficult for me. So why is it why is it that you feel that Shelley's the other woman that you can talk to? Uh, Shelley, um, Tessa, Tessa's a very smart girl mm -hmm. and very clever and very I love her to death. You're talented in that, but um, there are very few people that concentrate on what you are saying. Most people concentrate on what they want to say. And they don't listen. Mm -hmm. And Shelly's a doctor. You know Shaw? Mm-hmm. Have you been to see her? Ever as a doctor? Yes, one time. You walk into most doctors and you're sort of sniffling in that and they say, Oh, <clears throat> yeah, take take these two tablets and uh, and a bit of uh, uh, antibacteria and some Viagra and you should be okay. Meanwhile, you're coming in for a sore foot. You know, they're not prepared to hear what you got to say. <laughs> I remember... Going to see Shelly, um, when I was talking, I felt she was listening. Yeah, no, she, she wasn't. She wasn't waiting to talk. Yeah. She was listening to listen to me. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And there are so few people like that. And um, Colleen also like that. Yeah. She's prepared to hear and then talk and then listen and then talk. Mm -hmm. It's a great attribute if you can. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know why it's such an uncommon trait. Well, most people engage their mouth before their brain, and those two people engage their brain first. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Yeah. Maybe because people feel mm, that they won't get a chance to talk? Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And men also, most men probably don't sit and listen to what you've got to say, but they don't talk so much anyway. Mm. Okay. I, you know what? I actually don't have the patience to go and listen to what other people are talking about. I've got so much going on in my own head. Right. People ask me why I don't stay here <clears throat> and do my art all the time. Because mm. I make money out of it and I enjoy myself. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm very talented at what I do, thank you God. There's just no learning that I've done, it's just a gift He's given me. Mm. And the truth is, if you're with a woman you love all the time, you end up hating her. You know, you can't be doing the same thing all the time. I've got lots of friends that are old, 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 old friends. Mm. And when you get together, it's like we haven't been apart for the last 60 years. Yeah. But we don't need to live in each other's pockets. You know, um, the truth is, I'm away a hell of a lot of time. And when I come back, she buggers off to go and do something. And mm. that's fine, as long as we can do that very natural, normal thing every now and then, it's still okay. But yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. um, but she's desperate to talk to me and desperate for me to hear. Um, and a lot of times she talks to me that I don't really hear. Mm. And Tessa, my daughter's wife, she says, telling a man to do a thing once is not like, it's like not telling him ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good quote. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, asking a man. You know, mm -hmm. you ask a guy, and they say, yeah, you're just wasting your time. He says, write it down, mm -hmm. put it in the thing in his pocket, and when three weeks later he draws out this piece of paper, it's crumpled, and he can hardly read it. He says, oh, shit, I should have done that. Yeah, you yeah. Know.
uh, talk about a turning point in your life. Turning points. Uh -huh. My son, Thomas, whom I admire very much, has got an interesting quote. I think it comes from Mark Twain. That's a good person to quote. One of my heroes. Mm -hmm. He says, um, see if I can quote it, paraphrase. The two important dates in a man's life are more important than anything else. The day he's born and the day he finds out why. So uh, when you find out why you've been born, what you're doing and why you're doing it uh, is a very important time. So turning point in my life. Very interesting question. Probably I've had less turning points than I should have because I've bludgeoned on um, irrespective of uh, obvious uh, um, problems and things like that. I'm, I'm a very dogmatic and uh, I suppose stubborn person. So I will continue doing what I'm doing, maybe not to my own advantage, but definitely to my own decision. But uh, turning points, yeah, one well, of the turning points coming living great, I guess. You know, I was very much a company man. I worked for a good company, a nice company for many, many years. And I could see the writing on the wall when my very wonderful boss died and somebody else took over. And he was a bit of an alcoholic, in fact. And he we had, it took this wonderful company that I was working for and it disappeared um, between him and the financial advisors in the company they buggered it up and um, <clears throat> I couldn't take it anymore you know being mumbled at um, the whole afternoon by some took that had got drunk at lunchtime and I, I said no bugger this I can't take it so I re retired or resigned and I came to live here that was a turning point I never forget our counter saying I hope your wife is very wealthy because you'll never make it out there by yourself what a prick. <laughs> what a prick. He is just jealous. He wasn't jealous, he was just bloody stupid. <laughs> and um, I, I often thank God for forcing me into a situation that I actually had to leave him, really. Mm -hmm. So that was a turning point. Uh, another turning point, of course, the greatest one in my life, and one which could never be bettered, was meeting my wife, because I've never been left wondering about anything ever since I married her, so she has brought great clarity to my life, and um, I love it, because I do and because I want to. And how, how did you two meet? I advertised in the newspaper for somebody to go canoeing. And she thought it was canoodling, so she applied. Uh, <laughs> a friend of us introduced us to each other. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so it was an easy decision for me. And you two have been married for? About 20 years, I think. Years now. Since 94, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. 93, I don't know. Thomas is 22. So plus some two years, 24 years. Yeah. 
Shit, it's a long time, eh? And who... Uh, it's more, I'm more than I've been married to all my other wives together. It's... <laughs> That's something. This episode of My Way has been brought to you by the words of Mark Twain. Born Samuel Clemens in Missouri, Mark Twain has been noted as the father of American literature, most well-known for his novels The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Having grown up along the famous Mississippi River, he became obsessed with becoming a riverboat pilot, and it was this occupation that inspired his pen name Mark Twain, being the call of the river depth of two fathoms. A few of my favorite quotes include, Age is a case of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. When angry, count to four. When very angry, swear. Concerning the difference between man and the jackass, some observers hold that there isn't any, but this wrongs the jackass. After a long life as a successful writer, he went on a global speaking tour, which included a stop in our very own South Africa in 1896. He was noted in saying, the splendid black satin skin of the South African Zulus of Durban seemed to me to come very close to perfection. And on his thoughts of Cecil Rhodes, whether Mr. Rhodes is a lofty and worshipful patriot and statesman that multitudes believe him to be, or Satan come again as the rest of the world account him, he is still the most imposing figure in the British Empire outside of England. He's the only unroyal outsider whose arrival in London can compete for attention with an eclipse. I admire him. I frankly confess it. And when his time comes, I shall buy a piece of the rope for a keepsake. The Quotes of Mark Twain, inspiring you on a quotidian basis. So talk about the professional hats that you've worn in your life. So basically, the professional hats that yes. I've worn in my life. Um, Crocodile Dundee. Um, the Duke of Wellington's top hat. Um, a boss hood in the bush for the army. And... Um, a scarf when I was a pirate. <laughs> no, no, I worn various hats. I worn a military beret quite a lot. Yeah, that's an interesting. I worn the odd balaclava now and then to keep my face hidden. <laughs> I believe you. Yeah, in the bedroom. <laughs> and sometimes at night I even wear a balaclava to go to sleep in this bloody cold place. Just. Talk about your art a little bit more. Okay, so um, I'm very lucky in that um, when I was a lighty, I could draw and paint and sculpt and what have you. And I remember running away from school when I was in my lowest junior grades, going to the quarry and making animals out of clay. There was a pot quarry down the road. And I used to go down there by myself. I must have been five or six, making little rhinos and elephants. And I can remember it clearly. So we had a white clay there. That's probably the reason why I failed sub-A. The only person in the world to ever have failed sub-A. I had to do it twice. My, my mom uh, turned five in November and she sent me to school. I mean, it wasn't a place for me anyway. But those are the days when a five-year-old could walk mm-hmm. a few kilometers and go and fiddle around half the day and nobody would look for him. As long as you came back for supper. Amazing, eh? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine today? No. And then... um. Yeah, I, I remember drawing, and in actual fact, um, funny enough, Tess made a book. My mother must have collected some of my paintings and drawings. I used to draw soldiers and cut them out and um, color them in and play with them, and um, she found a whole lot the other day, 70 years old. 
and wow. there they are. And then I did, for a lot of my life, I did art at school. I had a couple of teachers. One of them was John Grogan, who was a, a cartoonist. He said to me in matric, a very nice gentleman, he said, is there any point in you writing matric? Yeah, I'm quite confident. So thank goodness he gave me a good mark for art because it got me through everything. But uh, yeah, then I started, I used to do paintings. I painted all my life. Painting is more of a challenge for me than sculpture. Sculpture is my natural talent. Yeah. And um, it's easy for me and um, it's it's quite good, I think, sometimes. But only about 20% of your products ever are worth anything. The rest are practice. And I wish more people would understand that. Mm-hmm. It's not derogatory or being difficult. You just have to practice. And really, 20% of your stuff is good. 80% is practice, even more. And if I look back at stuff that I made 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 20 years, 10 years ago, some of it is patently good, some of it is patently dreadful. And you can see it. Although other people don't see it as dreadful or good, they all, they all think it's bloody marvelous. Yeah. I spent many years painting birds and South African scenes. I love South Africa. South Africa is the most beautiful, amazing, wonderful country ever. Most countries are beautiful, if you can see the beauty. But this country's got the most amazing stuff. Mm. It really has the, the scenery here, from the deserts to the sea, to the mountains, to the jungles, to the... Jesus, just bloody amazing. And the people, too. I wish we could get on better. I started casting in bronze about 30 years ago, I guess. And I think it used to cost me 50 rand, now costs me 5,000 rand to make. <coughs> so it's an expensive exercise. Um, so art, yeah, people ask me to do commissions. I hate doing commissions because um, the idea is that if I do a commission, you know, you must come and I'll do it. And then you say, okay, we're on the right track. And then when you really... It's like you want it mm. in that form. Then you put on a third. And then when I, I take it to the foundry and it's finished in the wax and you approve the wax, then you put another third. And when it's finished, you put on the other third. But um, I've had many of these cases where people ask you to do something and they have this rush of blood to the head and they want something and then they never follow through. So um, I don't do commissions, really. I mean... You should take that off your website. What's that? Commissions? Yeah. It says that you... Yeah, I do commissions. You do. Say, I but do, it says that you like it. Portrait sculpture. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Portrait sculpture, I'm, I'm sussed now. You know, I'll do it in the in the first uh, clay. Because that doesn't take me long. And it's the most lovely part. That's what I enjoy doing. Mm. So I do that. And if the guy likes it, great. If he doesn't like it, it's also okay. I the practice. But um, do you, when you do portrait sculpture, do you work from a live person or do you work from a photograph? No, or? it's much better to work from a live person. And how long does it take? Um, the actual sculpture itself doesn't take long. It, the time flits, as far as I'm concerned, it's uh, no time. Maybe a day, maybe 10 days, I don't know, it doesn't matter. But making the armature, it's like everything, unless you've got a solid background, solid uh, uh, underneath, it's no good. So you'll make make the, the skeleton, as it were, out of metal, and then you've got to make the skeleton, and then just putting the clay on the outside is quick. 
If you if you want me to do um, a bust of yourself, for argument's sake, I would spend three days making the inside mm-hmm. and nice and strong, and then it was not finished. Well, once I got the clay on, it's like okay. So then he comes and sits yeah, okay, and then I'll I'll sculpt the clay, and it takes no time, and oh. it's either right, or we start again. How do you know it's right? There's the queen of the house. I know it's right when I feel it's right. I can't believe that his attention span is this long. I'm I'm honored. I I don't want to push my luck here. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are we taking too long? No. Okay. No. And the other part about sculpture with me is if I get being my bonnet about something I want to make, and I'm alone a hell of a lot. Um, so I'm driving from here to. Marshall Bay, and I get an idea. I'll think about it from every point until it's very clear in my mind. And I'll probably never do it. With the technicalities of doing it, is, it's a foregone conclusion. But once I've done it, and I've done it, and those things too, once I've started making something and see it's going the right way, I have to actually persist because otherwise I'll stop. Mm. And I, what what drives me, of course, is the fact that I make these little things, I make a lot of money out of them. And I have to have money to exist. So that's why I do it. It's the art. I love art. I love it. I mean, painting for me is like a song of color. Mm. Um, it doesn't need to be representational or even realistic. Um and those days have gone of painting very real, very realistic uh, little drawings and things like that. I reckon you talk about turning points. Turning points in my life are when I realized that it was only important for me what my art was. It didn't matter if anybody else liked it or not. Mm. Because um, everybody's got different tastes. I mean, I make, you make a dreadful thing and people think it's marvelous. And you make something which is marvelous and people think it's dreadful. So it's only about what I want anyway. Yeah, but that seems to be a theme too. It's if you're a creator, you create something that you love first and foremost, and mm. other people will love it too. Not everybody, but other mm. people will. Mm. But what's the point of creating something that you don't even like? That's a problem with commissions. <laughs> right. That's a that's a big problem with commissions. Quite <laughs> Alistair, can you make a Jack Russell? Yeah, sure. Well, make me a Jack Russell. So you spend six months looking at pictures and making drawings and whatever. And you make a Jack Russell terrier. And the guy comes in with a thing that's half sausage dog and half Elizabethan ball and claw furniture. And he looks at this thing and he says, that's not a Jack Russell. This is a Jack Russell. So... Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, the same as a Jack Russell. I think it's tough with art, any kind of art form. Mm. Now, art is a privilege for the producer. It's got nothing to do with the guy who wants it. I mean, there's more bullshit spoken about art that you can ever imagine. They try and put you in a category. Okay, now, what sort of art do you do? I said, well, what sort of art would you want me to do? Yeah. I make these things 
they've got expressionism, impressionism, realism, a bit of dynamic stasis, some some quirky stuff in it. Whatever grabs you. Yeah. It, do you listen to music or anything like that, or do you just do you work in silence? Music is its own art. I love music. I you must hear my music sometimes down there where you live, don't you? Huh? No. Don't you? I don't think so. Jeez. You're the only person you must be deaf. Yeah. I got these giant Wolfdale speakers. What do you play? I play I'll blues, listen. I play rock and roll, I play classical music, I love piano music and guitar music and I mean the greatest music for me is Beethoven. Beethoven is the only Mm. Only uh, um, musician that ever lived, as far as I'm concerned, and bloody believable. Yeah. And it has to be played so that the people at the end of the village can hear it. Did you not hear? I was playing Fido music this morning. Did you not hear it? No. <laughs> I'm surprised. What time? That's eight. No. Mm. I normally. It, it all depends on which way the wind is blowing. I guess. Um, and I can never tell which direction the music is coming from. It's very possible that I've heard music hmm? coming from your house, but to me it sounds like it's coming from somewhere else. So I don't coming, associate uh, music it. But comes, now... Music comes from the heavens. It comes from my house. <laughs> comes from the heaven. <laughs> well, that's it for part two of my conversation with fellow Graytonian and neighbor Alistair Barnes. Join me next week for the final part as we talk more about everything from Land Rover maintenance to the Kardashians. Don't forget to follow at Podcast Cowgirl on Facebook and Instagram for photos and updates associated with the podcast. And hey, you, that's right, you, the one listening to my voice right now, I know for a fact that you have one to two minutes to rate this podcast on iTunes right now. If you don't, please email me with a full explanation at podcastcowgirl at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.